Brahmacharya Srila Haridas Thakur Kija Prem Sri Gaur Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunachananda Sri Adwaita Gadadhar Sri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktivrinda Kija Sri Sri Radha Krishna Gopina Shai Mukunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Kija Rindavan Dhamma Kijai, Mathura Dhamma Kijai, Navadri Mayapur Dhamma Kijai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Kijai, Gangamai Juna Devi Kijai, Bhakti Devi Kijai, Tulsi Maharani Kijai, Samaveta Bhakti Rinda Kijai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamstra Manchakalpa Chivishra Kipas Nidhiya Bhutapatitinam Pavanavya Vaishnava Vodhimura Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya so it is July 2nd, 2021, in New Dwarka, Los Angeles. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 2, Chapter 8, Questions by King Perfect, Text 15. First thing I noticed when I looked at this verse is the word Bhubrit. So um, when Prabhupada gave me Gayatri Mantra in Philadelphia in 75, Maybe 75 people were getting initiated, and the senior devotees had picked the names. You know, each person would come up, what is your name? And then Prabhupada would just read the name from the list that his senior disciples had picked out. So he got to one and he said, What is this name? He said, This means one who carries a heavy load. He said, It should be Bubrit, one who carries the planets on his head. But in this case, it means the hills. But anyway, then there were three times the Prabhupada stopped and changed the name in that initiation. And after the third time, he said, where are you getting these names? Oh, I see this boobri. I just remember that. It was, it was, very, it was very charming. And I ran into that devotee many years later. Oh, boobri. Are you the boobri? Bhupatala kakubhyoma Ranakshatra bhubritam Saretsamudra dvipanam Sambhavaschaitarokasam Please chant. Bhupatala Underneath the land Kakub the four sides of the heavens, the four sides of the heavens. Vyoma, Vyoma. 
the sky, Raha, the planets, Nakshatra, the stars, Bhubritam, of the hills, Sarit, the river, Samudra, the sea, Dvipana, of the islands, Sambhavaha, appearance, Cha, also, Etat, there, Okasam, of the inhabitants. Prabhupada's translation. O best of the Brahmanas, this is Amar's perfect speaking to Sukadev. O best of the Brahmanas, please also describe how the creation of the globes throughout the universe, the four directions of the heavens, the sky, the planets, the stars, the mountains, the rivers, the seas, and the islands, as well as their different kinds of inhabitants, takes place. Srila Prabhupada's purport. The inhabitants of different varieties of land, etc., are differently situated, and not all of them are equal in all respects. The inhabitants of the land are different from the inhabitants of the water or the sky, and similarly the inhabitants of the different planets and stars in the sky are also different from one another. By the laws of the Lord, no place is vacant, but the creatures of one particular place are different from those of other places. Even in human society, the inhabitants of the jungles or the deserts are different from those of the cities and villages. They are so made according to different qualities of the modes of nature. Such adjustment by the laws of nature is not blind. There is a great plan behind the arrangement. Maharaj Parikit requests the great sage Shukadeva Goswami to explain all these authoritatively in accordance with proper understanding. O best of the Brahmanas, please also describe how the creation of the globes throughout the universe, the four directions of the heavens, the sky, the planets, the stars, the mountains, the rivers, the seas and the islands, as well as their different kinds of inhabitants take place. So it appears that uh, Mars Perkett is asking for a geography and science class. Yes? yes? Sorry, I was a Gurukul teacher for a long time. <laughs> and this is like, oh, time for geography, everybody. Now, when I first read this, it's like, what was the context in this chapter? Because doesn't this seem a little odd? What's the circumstance of the Bhagavatam here? Mars Perkett is about to die, right? All right, so let's say that any of us are told, you have seven days. So it's the beginning of the second canto. It must be kind of the end of the first day, right? Twelve cantos. So it's the end of your first day of seven days, and there you have Sukadeva Goswami in the room. And please give me a geography lesson. Isn't that a little... I mean, would you do that? So why is he doing this? So if we look a little earlier in the chapter, it's interesting in text 2, Marj Prickett says that what, what I'm going to ask from you, what you're going to respond, is going to be auspicious for living beings in all planets. So all of his questions and all of the responses are going to be fully auspicious, which of course reminds us of Rupa Goswami and the Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu, how Bhakti is all auspicious. <coughs> And in text 3, he says, I'm asking these questions, quote, so that I can place my mind upon the Supreme Soul, Lord Krishna, 
and being completely free from material qualities, thus relinquish this body, unquote. So Mars Perkin is asking this question about the planets, the directions, the sky, the stars, or the nakshatras, the mountains, rivers, seas, islands, and who lives where, so he can fix his mind upon Krishna, give up his material association, and leave his body in Krishna consciousness. So let's see if we can unravel this mystery a little bit as to why asking about this sort of thing is going to help him to give up his body in transcendental consciousness. I was just thinking when my mother passed away uh, in 2002, so she had been sick for a very long time, and uh, I got to be with her the last three weeks of her life in the nursing home. I got to be with her like 13 hours a day by the grace of these devotees who let me stay with them near her nursing home, for which I am uh, very grateful. Anyway, my, my mother had been born in Jerusalem, and her whole life she was an avid Zionist. So she had dedicated her life to Jewish religious causes. She literally gave millions of dollars to, to Jewish religious causes. But she was also a real avid Zionist. My oldest sister had moved to Israel when I was one year old. Uh, she was 18 years older than I and so, you know, and she had other relatives there and so forth. And so, you know, here she is three weeks before she's going to die, and she's looking at the news about the never-ending Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, and I said to her, and my mother wasn't really open to Krishna consciousness until the last day of her life. But I said to her, please stop watching the news. And I was thinking, all that's going to happen is she's going to take birth there again. You know, she's absorbed in this never-ending war and controversy, and so she's just going to take birth again. Right? And she listened to me. She turned off the news. For which I got chastised by my... My cousin, the doctor, was running the nursing home, and his wife gave me a hard time. Why isn't your mother watching television anymore? It was giving her solace. <laughs> so th- this seems very similar. You know, I'm just hearing about the, the, what's going on in the universe. Who lives where? You know, when Prabhupada's writing in this purport about that different creatures are suitable for different atmospheres. It made me think about one of the educational videos we had in the Gurukul about the aquatics that live in the Antarctic waters and how the seals or walruses, I can't remember, one of those sort of creatures, they had the special ability to withstand waters that were almost freezing, like 32.5 degrees Fahrenheit, you know. They had special nostrils that could close out the cold water and... You know, they were saying, oh, this is all evolution that they've adapted to the cold water. But I thought, no, this is intelligent designer that's made the Antarctic creatures suitable for the cold water and made the Mediterranean creatures suitable for the tropical water and like that. You know, but, but why would I want to be watching that video about Antarctic walruses when I die? And, it, of course, there's large sections of the Bhagavatam that are devoted to Mars Brickett answering this question. Isn't it? There's whole sections in the fifth canto 
about the movements of the planets, like when Mercury goes retrograde and this kind of thing. And of course, Srila Prabhupada wanted a whole exhibit about these things in Mayapurna. We're not just having exhibits about Chaitanya Leela and Krishna Leela. We're having exhibits about these things. So I, I was thinking about three reasons. One has to do with the universal form, which is also what Mars Brickett, what is about to hear in the Bhagavatam. So he's going to get a response to these questions very soon here in the second canto, and also later in the fifth in detail. And also an interesting answer comes from Vishnu Chakrabhati Thakur's commentary on this verse, which I was like, wow. And then the last has to do with uh, our godbrother Judakarma Prabhu's life service uh, for Sri So the first reason I was thinking was about the universal form, and I was thinking about this because indeed this is how Sukadeva Goswami immediately replies to Parikit on this question. That in one sense, the universal form of the Lord is imaginary, in the sense that it's not an eternal spiritual form, but it is the body of God. You know, when the whatever spiritual people or quasi-spiritual people or pseudo-spiritual people, whatever they are, when they talk about the universe, they're not wrong. The universe is the body of God. And it's not just the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita that describes the Vishwaru, but also many sections of the Bhagavatam, like here in the second canto, there's a detailed description. And again in the eighth canto, in the story of what incarnation? Do we have the universal form? And you are correct. Give him a maha plate. So, yes, yeah, so when Vamandev expands himself, that he shows the universe in his body, and the description is this part of the universe is this part of the Lord's body, this part of the universe is this part of the Lord. It's also in the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam. So, why is this very important? Now, I'm sure all of you are absorbed in transcendental Leela of the gopis and the cowherd boys, but for me, I tend to be absorbed in the things of this world. Like, you know, we drove here from Irvine this morning, and it's like, should we drive in the HOV lane or the other lane? Where's the exit? Are we going to get there on time? Right? Do any of you have this? Does your mind get absorbed in these things? You know, we tend to get absorbed in the things of this world. Naturally. You know, what do we need to buy from the store? Or yesterday my family took me to the ocean and the the waves were literally 10, 15 feet high. And so that tends to be what occupies our thoughts. So if we can have those things that tend to occupy our thoughts be about Krishna. Like it was so easy at the ocean because Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita of of bodies of water, I am the sea. 
though that was pretty easy. Oh, here's Krishna as the ocean. And there was a stiff breeze. And he says of purifiers, I am the wind. Now then in the description of the universal form, the ocean is compared to what part of the Lord's body? The waist. The waist. Who said that? Very good. Another mahaplate. We have to have all these mahaplates. The waist. So I've been working actually for many, many years on the devotee Kamala Sita on meditations on Krishna in the world. We have a chapter about the elements which were first published in Back to Godhead. Then a chapter from Bhagavad Gita, like of bodies of water, I am the sea, or purifiers are in the wind. Then we have a chapter from the Bhagavatam that has to do with like the ocean is the Lord's waste. And then we have another chapter with the 64 qualities of Krishna, like Krishna is an expert linguist, and whenever we hear people speaking different languages, we can think of him. And for each one, we have a little meditation about how this statement of the Shastra can be something that we think about in our everyday life. And we got, I don't know if any of you know Nadi Bihari, she's a famous kirtanir. So she's illustrated these with beautiful watercolor illustrations. And BBT Africa is going to be publishing it. So we were just going through and, and working with the editor. And so again, I was reviving all of these. So thinking about how the ocean is the Lord's waste. And the Lord is, is dancing, right? He's always dancing. Prabhupada says that, that the whole world is full of Krishna's singing. And that Krishna is always dancing and we can decide to dance with him. He said, but we shouldn't be dancing alone or dancing with anybody else. So the ocean is always dancing. Like a dancer, their waist is always moving, isn't it? And thinking of it as the Lord's waist also, it's connecting continents. Like the Pacific Ocean, it's connecting North America and Asia. And just like the waist, it's connecting like the rib cage and the hips. And we can meditate on these things as being the, bodies of, the body of the Lord. Or like here's asking about the mountains. The mountains are the Lord's bones. Right? The, the strength in our bones. And how the bones is the structure Without bones, we're like jellyfish, right? And so the, the mountains are providing the structure to the Lord's body. Or also, when we were at the ocean yesterday, there were birds, pigeons, and seagulls. So first thing I always think of when I see pigeons is how there's a statement in the fourth canto that you can train pigeons to carry you into outer space. I'm still waiting to see somebody do that. <laughs> but I was thinking about that. And then the seagulls were making noise. And I thought about how the birds in the universal form are indicators of? Artistic ability. Yes, very nice. You're a teacher, aren't you? Yeah. So his artistic ability, so the, the birds' artistic sense of the Lord in their form, so many birds are very beautiful. I mean, even seagulls, which are not a particularly beautiful bird, they're, they're graceful when they fly. So their beauty and their plumage their beauty and their flight. And for many birds, again, not exactly seagulls, but for many birds, they're beautiful in their song. But even their sounds that aren't so beautiful, then you can think of, again, going to Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, I am the sound in ether. 
And there's a lecture Srila Prabhupada gives about this, and he says all sound is spiritual. It is our material consciousness that makes us feel that the sounds are material. But even the sounds of the seagulls, the sounds of the roaring of the waves, or even that sound, <laughs> that Krishna says, I am these sounds. Look at this. The, the universal form is, is providing all these various sounds. And in this lecture, Srila Prabhupada says, it's really interesting, he says, if you don't want to chant Hare Krishna, you can find Krishna in the sounds of the world. That those are also spiritual. Prabhupada says in the Bhagavad Gita, we should arrange our lives in such a way that we cannot help but remember Krishna at every moment. Now, to some of us, that translates into, oh, I should get a house on the banks of Radhakund. You know, I should just go live in Rindavan, live in Mayapur, just take Shastra classes all the time. To some of us, that's how it translates. But I don't think Srila Prabhupada wants us emptying out all of our temples to go live at Radhakund. Isn't it? I mean, we have an Iskhan temple there, but I don't think that that would be his desire. His desire is to preach, and his, which we'll get to in the last reason why he's asking this question. And his, his Prabhupada's desire is to create an ideal society. So let's say that we transformed all of Los Angeles into Mahaprabhu's movement. Then now, does that mean that everybody would just be sitting down having kirtan all day? Would there still be shops? Would there still be a target? But what would happen is that people would learn what is Prabhupada say the first purpose of ISKCON to train people in the to systematically train people in the techniques of spiritual life to create real peace and harmony in the world. On the Veda base, a hundred. Wow, now that sound is Krishna. It sounds like one of the demons. I know what it is. But Prabhupada also says it's Krishna. Yeah, I, I, I like it to remind me of the different instruments that must be playing when the Lord's dancing with his friends or his... Right, so there must be some kind of wind instruments and percussion instruments. So we would teach people this technique of spiritual life. 195 times you find Prabhupada said the words peace and prosperity. And just what would our lives be like if every aspect of our life was an udipan or an impetus to think of Krishna? Like you have that Dr. Mukunda, he sees a peacock fan and, oh, Krishna, and he faints. You know, Mahaprabhu sees a sand dune and he thinks Govardhan. But everything can be an Udipan. We are not, for any of you who study sociology, a world-denying religion. Nor, there, nor are we a world-embracing religion, like some Christian groups that say, you know, you know God's blessed you if you're rich. Like me, they'll say, I own a $630 million airplane, therefore I am a saint. They'll say that, actually. I'm not making that up. So we're neither of those. We're a change, our consciousness. There's a class Prabhupada gave in Vrindavan 
in the early 70s on the Nectar Devotion. And three times in that class, he says, there is no material world, there is no material world, there is no material world. That when the devotees have the proper consciousness, they see there's no material world. Or even if we're going to think about not just the sound of the garbage truck, but garbage itself. How amazing Krishna is in this universal body that garbage turns into properly taken care of. If we, took, if we were Krishna conscious, if we had a Krishna conscious Los Angeles and people took care of the garbage properly, it would all become compost. Isn't it? And all of the trash and all the excrement builds new life. And we would see Krishna everywhere. All of our activities, our ability, our ability to sit, to think, to hear, to see, that's Krishna. Our intelligence is Krishna. What we remember is Krishna. So the directions. Here, Prick is asking about the directions. Where are the directions in the universal form? In his ears. What about the nakshatras, the stars? Where are they? And his chest, which reminds me of how, how Krishna wears jewels that twinkle like stars. And Krishna, Krishna is described by Rupa Goswami as an expert dresser, which means that he likes to dress very nicely. We all know people like that, right? Like my god sister Kusha, she always has, you know, the sari matches the blouse, matches the chatter, matches the bead bag. <laughs> So, whenever I see her, I always think, yes, Krishna is an expert dresser. So before he goes to challenge Kaliya, what does he do? Tightens his belt. What in the universal form is on the Lord's belt? Anybody know? The hooved animals. The animals that are what we call beasts of burden, like the donkeys, the horses, and also the wild animals. So he tightens his belt, he puts his hair... Oh, what in the universal form is the Lord's hair? The clouds. The trees are his body hairs. Which is really cool to think about, like when you're walking and there's trees and herbs are also his body hairs. And it's like we're walking on the body of the Lord. But the hairs on his head are like the clouds. So Krishna takes his curls and he puts them up in his turban. So he's considered a a very fine dresser because of that. Even when he's going to fight a demon in the water, he dresses up. (laughs) And he's also a fine dresser because he's very expert at dressing his gopi friends. So the stars on the Lord's bosom are also Krishna puts rows of pearls that looks just like stars on the chest of his beloved and when he does so as Jayadeva Goswami explains his, his nails touch her and they look like little half moons ornaments in these pearls of stars so when we see the stars in the sky we can think of oh this is the Lord's chest where he has his strings of pearls and where he puts these strings of pearls on his gopi beloved And this way, our meditation on the universal form, also not only do we become conscious of Krishna in the ordinary things of life, like putting gas in our car and buying a tomato and 
doing our laundry, but also we can segue to the Lord's eternal lila. The clouds. The clouds are usually white, but Krishna's hair is dark. But sometimes Krishna's hair looks white. When does Krishna's hair look white? When he comes home in the afternoon, the dust raised by the cows gets in his hair, and his hair looks white. Another description, actually, in the first canto, first canto, chapter 9, Does that help? Bishma, and what's he describing? Krishna on the battlefield, the dust of the... The dust of the battlefield made his hair look white. So when we see the dark clouds, we can think of Krishna's beautiful dark hair, and we think of the... We see the white clouds, we can think of his dusty hair. And some of the clouds look like curly hair, and some of the clouds look like wispy hair. Some of us get these little wisps of hair, right? You pujaris, you're always aware of these little wisps. What am I going to do with the wisp of hair for the Lord? So Mars Brickett, in asking this question, he said, I'm asking these questions so that I can place my mind upon the Supreme Soul, Lord Krishna, specifically says the word Krishna, and being completely free from material qualities, thus relinquish this body. So he said that in text 3, this is text 15. This is great mercy. We do not have to remove ourselves from the world, and nor would that be practical to do so. And nor would that be part of Mahaprabhu's mood or Srila Prabhupada's mood to do so. And so many times I meet devotees who think that unless they remove themselves from the world, they'll never be Krishna conscious. But here's Mara's Brickett at the end of his first day out of seven, and he wants to know how he can see Krishna in the world. All right, now there's another answer about why he's asking this question, which is given in Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's commentary, and I quote, he says, this question is suitable for all devotees, since all planets are the shelter of various types of devotees, and devotees are in charge of those planets. So another reason to ask about all the hills and the rivers and the mountains and the jungles, he asked about their inhabitants, right? Okasam, who lives there. So this reminds me of like our old Sankirtan newsletter or our old ISKCON World Review or something like that. You know, we still have a little of this on like, on some websites. Who's doing what where? Like what are devotees doing in Argentina? What are devotees doing in, in France? And what are devotees doing in, right? And sometimes we may, we, it may be relevant to find out something of the geography or the history or this. Whenever I would visit a, a new country, I don't know if I'll ever do that again, but anyway, whenever I used to visit a new country, the first thing I would ask was something of the history. Well, why would I do that? Because understanding something of the history gives you some idea of the culture and the nature of those people. And it gives you some idea of how to tailor your preaching for time, place, and circumstance. It matters. Just like in America, we have a strong culture of individualistic rebellion. Have you all noticed that? It's not so much there in Canada. You know, we had a war with our parents to form our own country. Whereas the Canadians had a very gradual growing up and maturation process. 
And then the people who've come here, the original people who, the original immigrants who came here, and even nowadays a lot of the immigrants who come here are rebels, isn't it? There's that, there's a mood. And to know that matters, how you preach to Americans. Like the culture in, in Australia and New Zealand is practically opposite. You know, the original Australians were criminals. Talk about rebels. I mean, if you think we're rebellious, you should go to Australia. And they hate any signs of status in Australia. You can never display status. You have to act like everybody has the same status. Now, it's interesting, in Indonesia, it's exactly the opposite. Just a casual email you get from someone, they will list the letters of every single one of their degrees after their name. Because it's really important to know somebody's status. Otherwise, you can't figure out how to relate to them. You know, or in countries like Korea, where they have 15 ways of saying you, depending on your status. So if we're going to interact with people, we know some, want to know something about their place. It's really interesting in the story of Gajendra. Lord Vishnu, when he's giving a benediction, a lot of the benedictions are given by Shukadev, but Lord Vishnu is giving the benediction for the Gajendra story. And he says, anyone who meditates on the place, the mountain, the flowers, the whole environment, not just Gajendra and the crocodile and Vishnu and the chakra, but the whole environment will attain pure devotional service. So when we meditate on devotees, just like it's explained, Prabhupada explains many times, that the battlefield of Kurukshetra is important because Krishna is there. So in the same way, the environment of devotees is important because the devotees are there. It's part of understanding the devotees. It's part of relating to the devotees. It's part of our glorification of the devotees. And so we meditate on devotees all over the universe. Because Krishna likes it when we hear and chant about the devotees. And we get inspired by these devotees all over the universe. So much of the description of the Bhagavatam is about devotees all over the universe, isn't it? Right? The whole list of genealogies. And we hear about these devotees and we become inspired. We become filled with faith. And we get their association and we get their blessings just hearing about them. So we want to hear about the whole world and the whole universe in relation to the devotee. And the final reason I was thinking that he's asking this question is very related to preaching. Uh, so when we preach to the general public, we don't, or we shouldn't, immediately talk about how Krishna is dancing the Ras Lila. Right? When we're going to first preach to, to people in the world, what do we preach about? You're not this body. There's a God. He's a person. Isn't that? Right? There's karma. There's reincarnation. What, what are we doing? What we're doing is going back to our first topic that we use the universe as a way to meditate on Krishna. We're preaching by taking their everyday experience and their everyday knowledge and showing them how it points to transcendent philosophy. We're not so much showing people in the beginning how it points to a transcendent lila of the Lord. 
but we're showing them how it points to philosophy. Can you see order in the universe? Can you see laws in the universe? Srila Prabhupada equates here in this purport, he says, laws of nature. Prabhupada will often have an equivalence between laws of nature and laws of God. There was one medical doctor who wrote, if your ideology is not in line with biology, there's something wrong with your ideology. If we make a philosophy of life that is contradicted by nature, it must be wrong. One of the ways we can tell what is the desire of the Lord is by looking at the laws of nature. That's one of, the, one of our arguments in favor of vegetarianism, isn't it? That we don't have the right kind of teeth or saliva or intestines to digest meat. So it can't be the desire of the Lord that we're meat eaters. So these descriptions, because the Bhagavatam is also preaching. Mars Brickett is not just thinking, although he says that at the beginning of this chapter, so I can place my mind upon the Supreme Lord, becoming free, completely free from the material qualities and thus relinquish this body. The Bhagavatam is not just for his own, as one of my godbrothers say, grab your Krishna frame and run. It's also for enlightening the world. You know, I, I don't know if Sukadev Goswami anticipated that we'd be running around in the airport selling the Bhagavatam. I don't know, I don't, I'm not quite sure if he anticipated that or not. Maybe he did. But it, it is also a way to get ordinary people in their ordinary lives who practically never think about God or transcendence or am I the body or am I something else or who am I and where am I going by explaining the nature of the world in relation to God. That I can see God, I can see God in the world. Even if I don't see the clouds as his hair and the ocean as his waist, I can see there's, there's an order. There's, there's laws. Otherwise, how do you learn mathematics? How do you learn chemistry? How do you learn biology? How do you learn physics? And Prabhupada said, studying all these in relation to the Lord is actually Hari Kirtan. I remember Judah Karma Prabhu saying, it's an odd kind of Kirtan. But it is Kirtan. And Prabhupada wanted our Bhaktivedanta Institute, he wanted people to be able to take the laws of nature and explain how these are evidence that we are not this body that there's a God, that he's a person. All the variety, this verse in Srila Prabhupada and the purport is talking a lot about variety. I often point out how on every plant, every leaf is different. Such variety. Every snowflake is different. Who cares? Every grain of sand, if you haven't done it already, you can look up on the internet today, microscopic views of grains of sand. Each grain is a piece of art. Each snowflake is, who cares? Obviously somebody cares, and that person who cares is a person who relishes variety. We can see evidence that all creators are personal. We can see evidence that, that the creator loves variety. So on a philosophical level, 
understanding these things about geography and science that are in the Bhagavatam can bring people to want to learn more and more about Krishna. Why in each place are the inhabitants different? Why the inhabitants of the northern latitudes where there's hardly any sun have this wispy, light-colored hair and super white skin and blue eyes because otherwise they wouldn't get any vitamin D. And the inhabitants of the super hot places, they have this thick, right? This thick mat of hair to keep the sun from burning them up. And dark eyes and dark skin. Because Krishna's arranged everything perfectly according to people's modes of nature, according to their desire, and to see this as evidence of the hand of God. And once you see it as evidence of the hand of God, then you start inquiring about God's hand. By the way, what's on the nails of God's hands and feet in the universal form? Oh, well, there's many descriptions of, of the Lord's nails as moon, so you get a bonus point for that. But stones, so we think of jewels, and also electricity. So why is he asking this question when he's about to die? Because meditating on the things of this world brings us to meditation of the Lord in his universal form, brings us to meditation on the devotees throughout the universe and is essential for preaching. So I was thinking also of a verse from the Isha Panishad. Sambutim cha vinashyam cha yas tadvedo bayam saha vinashena mutum titva sambutam rutamashnate, which Prabhupada translates as, this is uh, mantra 14, one should know perfectly the personality of Godhead Sri Krishna and his transcendental name, form, qualities, and pastimes, as well as the temporary material creation with its temporary demigods, men, and animals. When one knows these, he surpasses death in the ephemeral cosmic manifestation with it, and in the eternal kingdom of God, he enjoys his eternal life of bliss and knowledge. So, questions, comments? Yes. Just wanted to say thank you. All right. Thank you very much, for your wonderful Impetus is to meditate on Krishna. You mentioned that Prabhupada said all sound is spiritual. Yes. But there are at least two cells that Prabhupada did not tolerate. And sometimes it was bewildering to those who were there. One was the sound of children. Prabhupada would amazing time say, that child is disturbed. And have them take a child Sometimes people were bewildered by that. Oh, that child is a child. No, Prabhupada said, oh, the child is a disturbed. Another sound that Prabhupada did not tolerate was foolish people. Like he was giving a talk in India once, I forget where And some Western guy was there, he was getting up and saying all kinds of stupid things. Prophet said, sit down. And some of the Indians were so old and they left, because for them, Swami means, oh, 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 okay, everything is all right. <laughs> that was not proper. So certain things, certain sounds, you did not tolerate. Okay. So certain, of course, Prophet would tolerate children unless they were. There was a certain level at which you would tolerate children and a certain level at which you wouldn't tolerate. I know because I had a child in the Prophet's presence. Sometimes he would tolerate and sometimes not. But yes, Shiva Prabhupada wouldn't tolerate things that were going to disturb people's hearing and Prabhupada wouldn't tolerate people who were um, being blasphemous or offensive. Now that doesn't mean that we don't see that ultimately it's Krishna behind it. 
Like, you know, that pilot asked Srila Prabhupada, if there's God, why is there evil? And Prabhupada said, evil is on God's backside. Now that doesn't mean we don't love Krishna's back. Not that the Pujaris don't decorate Krishna's back. But at the same time, we, we see that the demons, I mean demons, oh, you know what's really interesting that I just thought of? You know many times in the Bhagavatam when the demons are saying all these critical things about Krishna and our acharyas reinterpret it? You know? Oh, the demon said you're the lowest among men, but it means you make everybody else go down. They, they, they turn it. At the same time, the devotees are, are pained. Even Lord Varaha says he was pained by the abusive words of the demon. But he patiently bore the earth. He wanted to make sure he took care of the earth before he attended to the... And there's also a statement that harsh words spoken by uncivilized men pierced the heart much more than physical. Yes. So if we hear somebody blaspheming devotees, it's not just that we say, oh... That sound is Krishna. You know, we're supposed to defend the devotees. But at the same time, we do see that Krishna is present everywhere. Krishna is present even in the actions of the demons, who he fits into his divine plan. So both simultaneously. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yes, can we have a microphone here for you, Thank you, Prabhu. creating a habitat for me growing up. When I was uh, 14 and 15, you were my teacher. And every day, just being so tolerant, because I committed so many offenses and I was so obnoxious. <laughs> but you were still so merciful and you tolerated and took such a heavy responsibility to be an educator in our movement, where it seems that, you know, if somebody doesn't turn out to be a pure really in blame, then there's so much trouble in that regard. Um, and also just thank you for uh, your collection of children books because my son, I, he's uh, learned how to read from them. So they're all Krishna conscious topics and, and um, it's, just, it's just thank you for creating spiritual habitat for us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tolerating me as your teacher. I'm sure I wasn't always patient. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for seeing the good. Whatever good is there is by Shiva Prabhupada's grace. Anybody else? Yes? Okay, well, I've just got two minutes left, so we'll try. So how do we see that Krishna is everywhere and yet see, this is one of the, and yet see that there's evil. And this is a, a, actually one of the main things that I've been meditating on the last few months. Because Srila Prabhupada says in Krishna book chapter, chapter 20, 
that the materialists see the world as very aggressive, but to the devotees, everything is happily situated. And actually, it was just uh, hearing Vaisheshika Prabhu say recently, I can't remember whether it was in ISV or Laguna, where he said that you get to a point where you see there was never any problem. So on the one hand, everything is happily situated. Krishna is in charge. Not a blade of grass moves without him. And Mari Krishna Rakeke, Rake Krishna Marike. If somebody does seemingly mischievous or violent acts, they can't do anything that's beyond somebody's destiny. It's just not possible. You know, if somebody does good, materially speaking, if somebody does good for me, I had to earn it by my karma. And if somebody does bad to me, I had to earn that by my karma. The only time you can surpass karma is transcendentally, and then all you can do is good. You can never give somebody bad beyond their karma. You can give somebody good beyond their karma through transcendence, through Krishna consciousness. So everything is ultimately justice, and everything is ultimately balanced, and everything is ultimately fair. And Prabhupada said, the whole world is full of Krishna's singing. Krishna takes people with evil, demoniac, rebellious mentalities and weaves them into his plan. That's amazing, isn't it? Oh, you want to torture and kill somebody? Well, here's somebody who deserves to be tortured and killed for what they did in their past life, so why don't you go torture and kill them? And, and so we see, ultimately, there's Krishna's plan there. Everything is happily situated. Everything is beautiful because everything is the Lord's body. Now, at the same time, we have to say that even though Krishna incorporates into his plan, and it's really funny, People who are doing things, I hate God, there's no God. Krishna takes them and says, okay, I can use you over here. Isn't that funny? They have no idea that they're actually serving the Lord. In their, in even the most rebellious, atheistic, demoniac, cruel person has some place in the Lord's plan. Actually, it's interesting, the, um, the evacuation organ of the universal form is where there's envy and hatred and greed. But even in this world, right, poop turns into fertile soil for new seeds to grow. And we want to evacuate toxic things. Isn't it? That's the whole purpose of evacuation. So in the universal body, anyone who's toxic gets evacuated and gets turned into something Fertile. Isn't that cool? Now, at the same time, simultaneously as preachers of Krishna consciousness, we have to say, no intoxication, no illicit sex, no meat-eating, no gambling. Those are sinful. Don't do them. Don't lie. Don't steal. With the list that, that Bhishma has, right, and the list in the um, chapter uh, 13, 8 through 12, I think and 16, 1 through 3 in the Gita, and then Isha Panishad, Mantra 10, the list of the, of the pious qualities. We have to say that. Right? There's demoniac qualities, pride, arrogance, ignorance. There's divine qualities. They're all in the universal body. 
And yet some things are favorable and some things are unfavorable. Now, if you're in the government, if you're Kshatriya, you have to punish those who are against the laws of nature and the laws of God to maintain the health of the universal body. Those who are in government, the Kshatriyas, they're kind of acting like the immune system in the universal body. And that's their job. For the health of the universe, in service to the universal body. But without hatred of the demoniac and without hatred of evil, it has its place. Now, again, this is something I'm personally working on. This is like my, my personal uh, thing right now is how whenever I see things that appear aggressive to me, to say, wait a minute, only materialists see things as aggressive. The devotees see everything as happily situated. If I'm interpreting what's going on as aggressive, and I'm thinking in terms of friends and enemies, and I'm thinking in terms of us and them, then I'm not in transcendental consciousness. I want to see everything is happily situated. Everything is the Lord's plan. Prabhupada wrote that letter to Jayapatakaswami. Everything is part of Krishna's plan. I want to see everything as part of the universal form. And then I may have a particular service to do to say, hey, that's wrong. And that's right. But without hatred, without fear, a lot of seeing this, this duality is a source of our fear. This is going to hurt me. This is, this is my enemy. Does that make some sense? How to have those two things. The whole world is full of Krishna singing. Everything is happily situated. Everything is the Lord's plan. Everything, everyone is in the Lord's universal body. And yet, in my service to the universal body, my service to Bhagavan Sri Krishna, I have to say, that's wrong. Without fear, without hatred, without any loss of joy, without any loss of peace. Hmm? So we should end here. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.